Last year at Tech Week, I was befriended by this woman who later tried to recruit me for her cult. Obviously, I turned her down, but it did make me curious about something I've been seeing a lot of lately in my dear city, which is people getting dragged into these weird, money-draining groups. If you live in Austin, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, just Google Human Potential Consciousness Training Programs. This episode is rated R. If you're offended by dark or sexually exploitative material, please log off my podcast right now and go watch a Disney movie. Otherwise, enjoy. So tell me your story. How did you get involved with the Austin cult scene? Wow. Where do I begin? Well, what started off as me getting an invitation to a full moon gathering, I was curious. I was semi-new to Austin again. I just moved back after not being there for a year, so I was looking to make friends and expand my network. There was definitely an interesting energy there that I was curious about at this full moon gathering I was at. The following day, I got invited to a workshop. It was a full-day workshop, and it was supposed to be personal development practices, mindset work, just like your, you know, everyday personal development, inner work jargon. And then towards the end of a full day of learning to connect with your inner child and play and all of the language that people use in the personal development space, it ended with this really weird breathwork kind of thing. And prior to that, I never done breathwork before, but I participated and I did this breathwork. And then that's when I started connecting with spirits and energies. And I started invoking a goddess. And what started off as just a regular personal development workshop turned into connecting with what they call your inner serpent. And then that's what opened the door to a scene in Austin that I want to just take this time to tell people about and help anyone who might be in that world to open their eyes. Austin's personal development coach, spiritual coach, Fiend is a modern cult for sure. What actually happened to you? Oh, man. Well, I got sucked into a world in a period in my life where I was just looking for some new friends. I had a desire to connect with people in a more spiritual way. I was looking to learn more about personal development, connect myself with people who were coaches. I just wanted to dive right into a world that I was curious about. So it was my curiosity that definitely led me into this world. I didn't realize how dark it got until I was out of it. What started off with me just getting invited to hang out with some friends and celebrate the full moon turned into me getting pulled into a world where people are connecting with all kinds of dark occult practices like witchcraft, conjuring up spirits. I mean, all kinds of peculiar things and it's masqueraded as love and light, but it's definitely not love and light. What was your entry point into this world? How did they get you in? I got invited to a party. So this was after I attended a full-day workshop, masterclass kind of thing. I got invited to a party maybe a week or two later. And it was at that party that I got introduced to my previous partner, someone I dated. And he was my door into this mystery world, this darker world for sure. 
So as you know, I honestly do not believe in the spiritual side of things. However, I will say I've had a lot of experiences recently where people have tried inviting me to things like full moon workshops. And I always say no, because when I look at them, they have this dead look behind their eyes. Wow. Do you know what I'm talking about? A hundred percent. It's something that now that I'm out of it, I can see it. But when I was in that world, I definitely couldn't see it. So you joined this group to make friends. Can you tell me about the first few weeks getting to know these people? I felt like I walked into a sci-fi fantasy film. People were theatrical, for sure. Everyone looked like they lived their lives at a festival, like life was a festival 24-7. And at first, I thought these people were fun. I wasn't creeped out by it. I was more so just like, whoa, a kid in a whole new world. It was a lot of fun. There was dancing. There was music. In the beginning, it was great. But that slowly began to shift when I started going more into intimate settings, not just like parties, but like people's house gatherings or little house parties that were a lot more small. You know, it went from feeling comfortable being around like, let's say, 100 people. And then once the numbers started getting into like five people, 10 people, that's when I started noticing a lot of sexual energy moving in these worlds. I started getting into more intimate groups. I started hanging out with some of my ex's friends. I noticed that more people were more sexual than what I've ever been used to. There was this push on what people call erotic innocence. And they would be like, yeah, just connect with your erotic innocence. It's okay that you are not experienced in all of this stuff. Just normalizing things that I did not really see as being normal. Like, Everyone giving each other massages all the time or people just normalize being naked all the time. It shifted so quickly and I was dating someone who was in this world and at that time I was a lot younger and I just wanted him to accept me and think that I was cool with the world that he was in. And so I started normalizing even the things that I was experiencing, but it was definitely not normal. What I was picking up on was people trying to pull me into this sexual world. And just imagine this just started off with me saying yes to going to a full moon gathering. Within weeks, I was in a completely different world. And little by little, I started normalizing the world that I was in. But it was definitely not normal. So it did not take very long for them to go from full moon workshops to erotic innocence and trying to get you into polyamorous relationships. Definitely. I'm talking about maybe within three to four weeks. How long were you involved in this space? For about nine months. Can you describe the first moment you felt like you were being pulled into something darker? How long did it take for you to realize that something was awry with these people? I would say maybe two months into it, I kept normalizing the world that I was in. I also was being encouraged to do a lot of quote-unquote medicine, which is what they call it, but it's just drugs. So I was not always in a sober state. And so not being fully aware of my surroundings all the time, there was just this conditioning to normalize everything. It wasn't until maybe a period of time where I spent time with myself because I was always around my ex and the world that he was in. And it wasn't until I started spending more time with myself that I was like, 
huh, something might be a little off. But even then, when you're around this world, they shift your mentality, if that makes any sense. That everything is normalization. They normalize the world that they're in. So I started thinking like, huh, what is this, this thing that I'm a part of? But then I was like, oh, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm not cool enough. Maybe I need to be cooler. Maybe I need to connect more with it. It just might be me. So I just started thinking like, okay, maybe I need to get into it. Because I was in a relationship with a guy at that time and that was his whole world. And because he started becoming my world, I felt like it had to be my world too. So even though I was picking up on the weirdness of it, I still was trying to condition myself to be someone who enjoyed the experiences I was in. So I was slowly beginning to even condition myself to normalize it. Can you tell me some of the things that happened to you? During that time period, people around me were connecting with what they call goddess energy. Everyone was calling each other goddess, goddess, goddess. And I think it was connected to that first time I did breath work that I had this experience where I felt like, and I said this out loud to one of the facilitators, I was like, I am the goddess Inanna. I've never said that in my life before. This breathwork practice was connecting to something. I started conjuring up a spirit just through breathwork and <laughs> just through breathwork. And so during that time period, I was like, oh, but maybe that's something I need to explore more. Because again, I was trying to normalize the world that I was in and I was trying to fit in this world. So during that time period, I felt encouraged to like learn more about the goddesses and how to invoke goddesses because everyone around me was doing it. I would go to parties and it felt like sometimes people were worshiping the spirits in other people. People were positioning themselves as these goddesses, like fully manifesting as these goddesses. Almost like people were bowing down to the spirits that they were conjuring up. If you can imagine what you learn in Egyptian deity manifestation, they teach you how to manifest the goddesses, invoke these goddesses. And so at these parties, what I began to notice, and I even experienced it, is there's this sense of people who are not even speaking to you. They're speaking to the spirit that is within you, or they're bowing to the spirit that's within you. They're connecting to the spirits within them. So the weird thing I started to realize, like, wow, we're, we're not just pretending to be goddesses and saying that we're goddesses out of aesthetics. We're actually playing with the spiritual world. We're actually conjuring spirits and manifesting as these spirits. And then the spirits that I'm conjuring up in me are drawn to the spirits that someone else may have. And in Christianity, we call this familiar spirits. And it was like a, a world where everyone was connecting, not as you and me are speaking, but the spirit in me, the spirits that I was connecting with, was connecting with the spirits in another person. And that's something that I started noticing. And little by little, I feel like I started losing myself. The goddesses that I was invoking started taking over me. I felt little by little, my own sense of will and awareness was depleting. And it was like I just started manifesting or expressing myself as the spirits that I was playing with. It's like I was no longer in the driver's seat in my own body. That's what it felt like. And I noticed that in a lot of the people around me at that time as well. So do you feel like you were possessed? A hundred percent. Definitely. And at the time, I definitely didn't realize that's what it was. But that's exactly what it is. Invocation is just another word for getting into agreement with being possessed by another spirit or demon or whatever it may be. Something else that is not you. So I definitely think I was possessed. At the time, I thought I was just invoking spirits. But 
looking back at it now and now that I have a lot more spiritual discernment, it is definitely possession. That's exactly what it is. And that's what it felt like. I definitely had these moments where it felt like I was no longer fully in control of my own body or my own thoughts or my own emotions. It felt like I was allowing something else to manifest through me. Did you ever lose control of your body? I feel like maybe at times, maybe at times I definitely felt like I had moments where, again, I wasn't in the driver's seat. And then that combined with the plant medicine world, it just amplified this feeling of being disconnected. You're in this weird ethereal state. That's what I always felt like. I definitely had a body and all of that. But in that world, everyone encourages you to be so submitted to pleasure so submitted to feeling good. And so I thought it felt great to not be in my head. I thought it felt great to just let myself be quote unquote free. But looking back at it now, it was definitely a form of possession, spiritual possession. What happened when you were possessed, not being in the driver's seat of your own body? What would you do and what happened to you? Hmm. I can't remember a lot of it. I think because of some of the trauma experience, I blocked out a lot of things. But I would say overall, I just found myself not really caring about anything but play. Like I was in a very childlike state. It put me in this mentality of everything is about play and pleasure and nothing else. So it's a high form of hedonism. I found myself very disconnected with reality, very disconnected with my family, with my previous friends. I can only connect to that world and anyone who wasn't a part of that world, I felt like something was wrong with them. That's what it felt like. That's the cult element that I felt. It felt like anyone who was not in this world was sleeping or, you know, they weren't enlightened or they weren't connected to the truth of how life is supposed to be. So I felt alienated from the world and very dependent in the world that I was in. You say you were going after and seeking pleasure. Could you tell me a little bit about what that looked like? Mm -hmm. It definitely looked like ketamine. It was rooted in a lot of drug culture, like anything that can make me feel even more disconnected from the physical world. That's what I was drawn to because with these drugs or what in that world that they call everything medicine, it's like you go into these high ecstatic states. You know, and everyone around you is in these high ecstatic states. And it's not just at parties where people are dancing. It's like four o'clock in the afternoon and people are doing hardcore drugs. And so for me, I found myself just constantly getting into this habit of using substances to continuously numb myself to the experience that I was actually in. There was a part of me that was aware that I was in something dark and deep, but I did not want to actually admit that to myself. And so allowing myself to constantly partake medications and drugs and things allowed me to stay in that pleasure state of mind, which kept me disconnected from actually accepting the fact that I was in some kind of spiritual sex cult. It's okay if you don't want to answer this. Can you tell me specifically what happened to you? Were there events or parties where these things would happen? Can you describe that to me? One thing I can say for sure, as I started slowly awakening to not just this world that I was in, but, you know, the person I was dating at that time, that was his whole world. As I started awakening to the peculiar and dark essence of that world, I started noticing that 
people were opening doorways to Satanism. And on the outside looking in, it would appear as, you know, just spirituality. It does not look like Satanism doesn't always look like darkness. As I started waking up in this world, I started realizing there's something satanic about this that I can't quite explain. Even though it didn't look like red rooms and, you know, upside down crosses everywhere, which is when people think of Satanism. I think that's the image that a lot of people have. But there was just something in me that just knew that the nature of this world was rooted in Satanism. And I started noticing more and more people just hungry for power. A lot of people just normalizing doing ayahuasca, which is a hardcore psychedelic that you have to go into the Amazons to do. People were just doing it in their backyards recreationally. And it was almost as if people were constantly trying to fill this void that could not be filled with drugs and partying and sex and spiritual mysticism. And so I found the people around me, like I would look into their eyes and they were just gone. It was like they weren't fully there. And then that's when I started really becoming aware, like, okay, we're practicing what people were doing in ancient Egypt, allowing these deities, these spirits that we're connecting to, to fully take over our bodies, like soul possession. And the reason why I knew it was soul possession is because I would look at people in their eyes. You know how people say the eyes are the windows to the soul? I would look at people in their eyes and there would be nothing there. It would be fully taken over by something else. And that's when I knew that it was a form of Satanism for sure. So the people you were around, you feel like they were practicing rituals from ancient Egypt. Definitely. And again, a lot of these things are normalized in culture. I mean, even some of the things I experienced, because I've been away from this world now for almost two years, I'm seeing it slowly start to seep into mainstream culture. You know, women using their period blood and putting it on the earth, on the new moon or the full moon and saying, like, I'm giving it back to Mother Gaia, things like that. People practicing things like sex magic, where they're trying to use menstrual blood to make offerings to quote-unquote sexual energy to manifest their dream lives, get material things. People are essentially bartering with the spirit world. That's what it's becoming, and it's masqueraded again as love and light. It does not always look dark, but I definitely started seeing a rise of priestess schools, a rise of the goddess schools, a rise of people wanting to connect with Isis, a popular Egyptian goddess, just a rise of Egyptian practices making its way to Austin and really attracting a lot of younger women to pull themselves into these worlds. Stop the record. I have to go back. Sacrificing with period blood. Yeah. Sacrificing with period blood. Tell me more. Yeah, that was something that I would see people do. And a lot of people around me were practicing that. And there would be these women's circles sometimes. I don't think they were doing period blood at the women's circles, but there was just always this normalization of giving things to Mother Gaia because Mother Gaia is Earth, right? So it's people's way of saying, this is how we show love to the Earth. Well, you know, we give our period blood and you bury it in the dirt and you do it on the new moon and all of this stuff. I mean, it's all witchcraft, essentially. Did you ever use your period blood and make any kind of... Did you use your period blood to request <laughs> anything? I'm surprised you're laughing, but I, I oh, yeah. want to know. Right around the time when I started seeing people talk about this side of people using their period blood and sex magic, that's when 
Jesus came into my life and pulled me out of that world. So praise the Lord, I've never have had to go in to do these rituals. But when those conversations started happening around me, that's when I started seeing a lot more things about Jesus. And out of nowhere, just feeling a call to listen to worship music, not reading the Bible, but reading books that had things about Jesus. It was specifically around this time because I'd be at parties and I would just hear people just through casual conversation talking about making sacred blood offerings if they wanted to manifest a house and doing sex magic and using menstrual blood and animal skins to manifest things like this is actually happening in Austin. (laughs) It was around this time period when I started hearing these things. Jesus was also speaking to me, opening my eyes specifically around this time. I really believe if Jesus never came into my life, I would definitely still be in that world making blood offerings and bearing my blood. Because that's that's exactly where I was at before Jesus came into my life. I just did not know how to get out of the world that I was in, but I was definitely looking for a way out. Who initiated the blood sacrifice? I can't give any names or anything like that. They're not all in hiding. They're pretty well-known people who are practicing things like this. I've never practiced any kind of offerings or rituals or anything like that, but I was around a lot of people who were talking about it. It was a common theme of conversation in the circles that I was around about the normalization of sex magic, the normalization of blood offerings and how it correlated to receiving material things. What material things? So, for example, there was a party I was at, and there were these two guys who were talking about getting a new house. And one of the dudes was like, oh, yeah, like, you know, I'm looking for a house. Do you know anyone who has a house? And the guy was like, well, you know, you can get any house you want. Just just use sex magic. And he was teaching this dude about sex magic. And he's like, all you need is a woman's menstrual blood, sacred animal skin. You get very clear on your vision and you make an offering. And I was hearing that conversation after that specific night. I completely left that world. But it was that night where I was hearing that conversation. So I never saw people doing this, but I was definitely around the conversation about people talking about doing this. I don't know if you've seen The Stepford Wives, but there's a scene in the movie where the main character goes to a therapist and she is talking to the therapist about Stepford and all the awful things going on. In a very refreshing moment, I feel like in movie history, the therapist doesn't say, no, you're crazy, you're wrong, you're bad, nothing is that awful. She just says, get your kids, get the hell out of Stepford. So that was your get the hell out of Stepford moment. No, it was maybe a week after that. That was me packing up my things. The moment that I had to get the hell out of Stepford, it was a week after that. I was at a sister gathering, you know, a sister circle, and we were talking. And there was this girl. She just kept looking at me the whole night. And it was like the room was divided. On one side, people who identified as being Christians. And on the other side, there were people who are new agers, spiritual, new age peeps. I don't really know what to call the new age. It's essentially a different religion, I would say. There was a woman, she just kept looking at me and we were talking about the Bible and the girls that were around me were saying like, yeah, we believe in the female Christ, you know, Sophia, that's the goddess. She's the female Christ. 
And this woman who was sitting directly across from me, who I'm still friends with to this day, it was almost as if she was just speaking directly to me. And she was just saying, that's blasphemy. You need to wake up, you know, defending scripture. And in that moment, I don't know how to explain it. It was like my eyes were just fully open. And I was like, whoa, I don't know how I got in the steep. And maybe three days after that, I went to church and I feel like I've never been the same. (laughs) That was the moment I really, really got the hell out of there. It was her speaking to me in this way, like this firm defending Jesus. And I don't know, there was just something in me that was like, she's, she's right. I don't know how to explain it. I just know that there's something about the way that she's speaking. It was like convicting something in my own spirit. And that was what actually got me out of that world and led me to having a personal relationship with Jesus. Did they let you go quietly? During that time period, I found people just kept inviting me to things. It was just a lot more temptation to stay in that world. But the more and more I was rejecting or turning down the invitations, I just got cut off from that world completely. No one would speak to me from that world. It felt like I went quietly, but it was definitely after I gave my life to Christ. When I say the temptation, the invitations, the opportunities to go back into that world was definitely there. And for me, it was definitely during a very transition time period in my life. Like I said before, I was in a relationship with someone who was very much so in this world. And it was not just letting go of that world, but it was also letting go of that person. And it was really difficult for months. I just kept finding myself feeling like I had to put one foot in in that, you know, cult world and one foot in this world. And I just, I, I just couldn't do it. But it was definitely difficult those first couple of months, for sure. I kept feeling like I didn't fit in this world because in that world, you normalize everything that you're around. It feels like your true family. And so it definitely took me a period of time before I felt like I could actually hang out with my family again or hang out with friends I used to hang out with before then. It it took me months to really get accumulated back into normal reality, for sure. You told me before this podcast that most people don't know what Satanism actually is. What is it? Satanism, the true nature of it is the worship of self. It's seeing the self and the body as God. It's self-worship. That just sounds like a normal day in corporate America or going to the gym and taking care of yourself. When you say worship of self, what does that mean? It is the experience of seeing essentially like your ego as being God. You are the fullest and the highest expression of divinity, that there is nothing outside of you and that you should idolize yourself. You should submit yourself to self-pleasure. You should submit yourself to hedonism. You should submit yourself to always feeling good. It's putting self above everything else. And maybe it does sound like a regular day in the corporate world because I think people don't understand that. I think Satanism really does rule this world and we've normalized the culture of it. But I don't believe Satanism is the worship of Satan. I think True Satanism is simply self above everything else. So when you talk about Satanism ruling the world, I have to ask, who is Satan? Well, as someone who identifies as Christian, even though sometimes I'm like, do I even want to call myself a Christian? Because I definitely can see even Christianity is a different form of a cult, (laughs) but we could talk about that another time. As someone who believes in Jesus, you know, Jesus 
in scripture, it says that, you know, Satan is the God of this world. So Satan is a spirit. He is a spiritual entity. And he's like the spirit of rebellion against God. He's the spirit of rebellion against anything that is good. So that's probably the best way I can describe Satan. It's the rebellion against anything good, anything that's like truly good. You say you experienced the world as being a god and being possessed. Can you describe that to me? Well, I'll even take it a step deeper and give you like a very specific example. So I was in Italy and I went to these underground temples. I'm not going to say the name of these temples, but if people are listening to this episode, just do a little research, maybe you'll find it. But there's these underground temples in Italy where people go to mystery schools. And while I was at one of these mystery schools, I experienced a spirit who has passed trying to use me as a vessel to communicate something to the leaders of that temple. And I was speaking for a dead person, which I've never done before. I've never experienced anything like this before. But because during this time period, I was so caught up in vocation and learning about Egyptian mysteries. It was crazy at that time, but it was normal that I experienced that because I was already in the practice of allowing myself to be taken over by other spirits. So out of nowhere, I'm sitting down. It's just like a regular day. I'm at these temples. And all of a sudden, my body starts shaking. And I hear this voice as clear as day saying, do I have permission to speak through you? And all of a sudden, it felt as if my awareness, my consciousness, whatever you want to call it, moved from the driver's seat into the passenger seat. And someone else came into the car and was using my body to communicate a message. And after I finished communicating this message or after the spirit finished communicating this message, people came up to me and they were like, that was him. That was the creator of this temple. He was speaking through you. I've never met this man before. I knew nothing about this man, but his spirit was literally speaking through me. And it just felt as if I went from the driver's seat of my body to just being an objective observer. My mouth was being fully taken over. It was another form of possession, which is what I was talking about before. It just feels like someone else is in the car of your body. Something else is in the car of your body. What did you say? I blacked out. I can't remember much what I was saying. I just know that I was giving people instructions, or not I, the spirit was giving people instructions. It was something about giving them leadership advice. It was like the creator of that temple was speaking through me, speaking through my body. It was very crazy. I was really freaked out because I've never experienced anything like that before up until that day. I've never been big into horror movies, but Mm -hmm. this sounds like a scene from The Exorcist. Literally, that's exactly what it was, for sure. And what's rising right now in the world of Christianity, for people who don't know anything about Christianity, there's this thing called deliverance ministries that has been rising higher than ever before, where literally people are delivering people from spirits, like exorcisms. And it's becoming way more and more popular especially within the past two years and like ever before, there's a massive rise of pastors and preachers who are doing deliverances on other people. So there's a lot of people in this world who I think may be possessed, but may not even know it. It's not always going to be something you're aware of, especially if you are in a world where you're not as spiritually connected. 
Can you describe the experience of the spirit entering and exiting your body? What happened? So for me, it was very physical. Oh, yeah. It was very physical at first. My legs just started shaking. And I had a friend who was next to me. And I was like, I don't know. There's, I feel like there's something I need to say. I feel like there's something I need to say. And it was just like my body just started shaking. My legs could not sh- stop shaking. That's what it felt like when the spirit entered. And then I heard the voice and it was like, do I have permission? It's like these spirits, I don't know if they're all like this. This is the only experience I had where it felt like me conjuring a dead person or something like that. But this spirit was a little friendlier and to ask for my permission. I don't remember the exit or the feeling of how it left my body. I think it probably stayed in my body until I got deliverance, until I went to a pastor. After I was out of this whole world and did a deliverance ceremony and he casted out any spirits that were in me during that time period. There you saw a priest remove the demons from your body. Yeah, I saw a pastor, yeah, or a priest who does deliverance ministries and he did deliverance. He does this thing where he was like, okay, I'm going to separate soul from spirit. Like I'm dividing soul from spirit. And it was like the same experience of conjuring up a spirit. I moved into the passenger seat and one by one, he just kept calling out these names. I don't even know how he would know these names. I told him nothing about me. And he would just call out these names, these entities, these spirits, and little by little they would manifest and then he would cast them out and they'd be gone. And then I think maybe even that spirit stayed with me until I had that deliverance experience. Few questions. So you traveled to Italy with this group. So I traveled to Italy to, and this was with my ex, he got invited to, they were doing this thing called time rituals or something like that. And they just attracted all of the well-known mystics and wizards and witches and warlocks. I mean, like people who actually call themselves wizards, witches and warlocks. And they all came together for a four-day ritual retreat. And it was at this retreat that I had the experience of conjuring up the spirit. So tell me about these retreats. How many did you go on? Where did you go? And what happened to you? So the only one I ever experienced was this one in Italy. I never went to anything else outside of this. I was always getting invited to go to Ayahuasca in Costa Rica, which is a big deal. Or I think Costa Rica, people definitely normalize these Ayahuasca retreats. But the one I went to in Italy was the only one that I have ever experienced. And I mean, again, just like dark occult things. But on the surface, it looks like love and light. In scripture, it even says like, you know, the devil masquerades himself as an angel of light. And being in that world, now that I'm out of it, I can truly see that. If you looked at most of these people, you would never think that they were connected to anything dark or they were conjuring up spirits. But we would go into these temples and people would be doing like sound alchemy. I mean, things that I don't even, I still don't even understand. I didn't even understand it when I was in this world. But it was just like connecting to all of these deities. And they just were obsessed with worshiping multiple gods and having multiple gods. And that was the normalization of that specific experience, these temples that I went to. It was really all about connecting with deities and connecting with the elements of the earth. What makes someone susceptible to these spaces? What qualities would you say make someone more likely to enter these demonic spaces? I mean, it really does sound demonic. Definitely innocence. 
curiosity, if you exhibit any qualities to have a childlike nature, then you're probably more easily swayed. I think they follow the same principles as sex traffickers. Because I think that whole world, it's soul trafficking, like that's what they're doing. They're trafficking souls. Even if they may not be aware of what they're doing, but that's what they're doing. They're definitely soul trafficking. And the formula for even the world of sex trafficking, which after I left this world, I got really into studying because I started to see the similarities between how predators traffic children, young women. It was really similar to how I got into that world. But they say that the first step is vulnerability. So anywhere that you may be vulnerable. For me, I just moved back to Austin, you know, had this desire to connect with people, make friends. I felt a little lonely during that time in my life. So that was a vulnerability for me. It also me being a super curious person and, you know, having that look in my eye of wanting to have experiences like I was genuinely curious. So it was like anyone who exhibits any kind of childlike qualities then you are definitely going to be more susceptible to be drawn into these environments because they are drawn to anything that is innocent or anything that exudes some kind of innocence because that world is so corrupt. And the nature of these Satanists is that they like to corrupt innocence. That's the nature of, of a lot of these people who are in these spaces because, again, Satan is the spirit of rebelling against anything that is good. And so for me, it was almost like I have the prime subject. <laughs> Because during that time period in my life, I was just curious and bright-eyed and, you know, just childlike. And I was often the youngest person in these circles, which I didn't really notice until I left. I was like, well, all of these people are always older than me. But they're definitely drawn to any form of innocence because I think they actually get off on corrupting pure things or corrupting anyone who is innocent because they are all internally so corrupted. Yeah, I've had a few experiences going to Tech Week and meeting people who've tried to invite me to the things you're talking about. I have no issue saying no to them, but I feel like I'm getting targeted because of my big eyes. I think it's strange and a little creepy when people invite you into these spaces. So you think it is your curiosity and your innocence. Those are the things that attracted those people to you? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It was definitely the fact that I was not in that world. Like they're drawn to people not being in that world because then you haven't seen some of the things that they're a part of. And again, I think they get off on corrupting anything that still has any essence of purity or what people call holiness. I'm not saying I was a saint before, but I definitely was not going to full moon blood ritual. Like I wasn't really in that world. I was like in the art scene. I was just hanging around creative people, artists. I was not really in this world. So I think it was the fact that it was such an unfamiliar world that that's what they were drawn to. The fact that I've never seen anything in that world, especially the men who are in these spaces. They have a darkness in them that literally, I think we at their core, like they hate women. They just hate women. Even if they can be misogynistic or have multiple polyamorous relationships with women, I think at their core, there's a hatred for women and there's a hatred for purity, a hatred for anything that could be expressed as good. Son of a gun. Sorry to swear. What qualities should someone look out for when they're being approached by someone in the spiritual community? I would say one of the biggest red flags when it comes to the men who are in this space is the Peter Pan syndrome. 
if you feel like that dude is way too connected to his quote unquote inner child, which is what they call it. Someone who you can tell they lack maturity, like soul maturity. So they might be cool because they could be a little bit older, but can still hang out with 20 year olds and people in their 20s. I think sometimes we're drawn to that because it's like, whoa, you're older, but you can still hang out with people in their 20s and all of that. I would say this Peter Pan syndrome, that's the most common theme I saw in a lot of the men who are in this world. They have that Peter Pan syndrome. They're genuinely afraid of maturing and getting older and growing up. So a lack of maturity. They are super avoidant when it comes to even having conversations that have to do in the realm of maturity. They always like to keep everything airy-fairy and light or talk about super deep spiritual things. You can tell that there's a slight disconnect from reality that they have. So that Peter Pan syndrome, for sure. Would you recommend people just avoid the whole spiritual community of Austin? No. No, I think everything is about discernment. You know, I personally believe that discernment is a gift from the Holy Spirit, which is why I think a lot of people in this world lack it. I'm still a spiritual person. I still consider myself a spiritual person. And so I wouldn't say avoiding all spiritual things, but just to have both eyes open. And if you are someone who prays, ask for discernment. Because I'm telling you, If you ask, if you really ask, it will be given to you. There's a lot of amazing coaches who are out in Austin who don't have ill will to recruit people into some kind of weird spiritual cult. I think there are people who are actually doing great work out there. But anything that feels a little off, if you can even just in your core just feels a little off, that is something that I would trust in. I personally don't really do as much yoga, but I still do Pilates. I still love things like that. But I definitely move with a lot more discernment. Again, my relationship with Jesus Christ has really increased my discernment. Like I really have eyes to see, really, really have eyes to see. Even when I left this world and I started getting closer to Jesus Christ, I would pray for things like discernment. And this is around the time where I had one foot in in this world, this world that we're talking about, and then one foot in with Christ. I was in both worlds at the same time, which is so difficult to do. I'm so happy that I'm out of it now. But I went to ecstatic dance one night, and this was around the time I was still, you know, drawn to that world still because, like, I was not ready to fully accept the reality of what I experienced. But a friend of mine, we went to this ecstatic dance, and that night, I've never heard the audible voice of God until that night. We were at this ecstatic dance gathering and there was a shaman in the room. And I already knew that I was like, I'm like, okay, this is going to be interesting. Ecstatic dance is just about going and expressing yourself, dancing without drugs, alcohol. It's like what you want from a club experience without all of the creepiness of the club experience. That's what I thought ecstatic dance was. But there was a shaman in the room who started off the night by saying, I open up the door to the spirits of the West. I open up the doors to the spirits of the North. And then when he put his hand on the ground, he goes, I open up, you know, to the spirits of the South, the Dark Mother. And I'm telling you, I've never heard the voice of God ever in my life before. Even around this time, I'm seeking Jesus, but it's a new relationship. Like, I don't really know Jesus yet. We're getting to know each other. Even though I grew up Christian, we weren't strict Christians. We'd go to church once every couple months sometimes, you know, we weren't. We weren't like as deep in it. It was more so the aesthetic of Christianity. But I heard the audible voice of God so clearly that night. And I heard, say a prayer of protection right now. 
And it was when the man, he had his hand on the floor and he goes, I open up to the spirits of the South and I call on the dark mother. And in that moment, I'm telling you, that's when God gave me eyes to see. I can see in the spirit that there were entities entering to the room and entering into people. And then that was a night that I was like, wow, this, this stuff is real. It's not like, oh, maybe we're playing with Egyptian deities and spirits. It was like, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like I just saw it myself. And, you know, everyone was doing ecstatic dance and it got really sensual and really erotic. And at the end, we all got in a circle. and We all had to share a word with what our experience was. And there was this woman who said the word possessed. And she was the same woman during that night who just kept laughing like the sinister laughed. Like the sinister laugh. I'm telling you, I have to connect you with my friend. She can confirm the story. It's crazy. That was the night that I realized like, wow, people don't understand that we are truly vessels for spirits. And if you lack any kind of discernment, you can open doors in so many different ways in Austin. There's so many different circles where you're just coming in to dance and have a good time. And there's a shaman who's opening up portals to all kinds of things. And that was the night that I realized, wow, okay, Austin is very spiritually irresponsible. There are people here who truly lack care for other people by inviting they were even discerning what spirits were coming in they were like i call on the spirits of the west like what spirits are you talking about are they good spirits bad spirits there's no discernment there's just like i call in the spirits and dancing and singing and creativity and expression like these are doorways to allow spirits to come into you that's why people say the devil runs the music industry but that's another conversation for another day so You went to this static dance event and everyone around you started calling upon demons and a woman started laughing in very sinister ways. Oh yeah, for sure. It was almost as if people just started slowly manifesting as different spirits. And I've been to ecstatic dance before, but I feel like that night God was just trying to really show me the world that I was a part of. Even though at this point, I wasn't really in this world as much anymore. I literally just went to that gathering just to have fun, just to dance. I wasn't looking for shamans or magic or anything like that. I just wanted to dance because I missed dancing. It was that night that I believe Jesus spoke to me. I mean, I mind you, I've never heard the audible voice of God ever before. It wasn't until the guy, the shaman dude, put his hand on the floor and said, I call on the dark mother. And I think it was God's way of saying you have to protect yourself right now. They're about to open the door to some dub things. And that night, the whole night, I had to close my eyes. And I just kept dancing, but I had to close my eyes because I can just see it. It was like God gave me eyes to really see that people were getting fully possessed. And then when we went in that circle afterwards and we all had to share our experiences, when that woman said possessed, it was confirmation in my spirit. I was like, okay, Jesus is real. Jesus is so real and he's showing me this world. And I just hope that more young women can wake up and just increase their discernment and have both eyes open before going to these gatherings. Just pay attention to the words that they're using. Like, why is a shaman at a static dance gathering? What what does a shaman have to do with dancing? That doesn't make any sense to me. Can you tell me the prayer that you spoke that protected you? I don't remember exactly what I said. I think I just said, I'm protected by Jesus Christ or something along those lines, like I'm covered by the grace of God. During this time period, I mean, mind you, 
I was an agnostic for years and semi-atheist for a period of time. And then I was super deep in the spiritual world. So it was a while since I said prayers. I was really disconnected from that part. But I think I said something along the lines of I'm protected by Jesus Christ. What do you think would have happened to you if you had not said those words, if you had not spoken that prayer? I don't think I would be having this conversation with you today. I think I would have found a way because, again, I had one foot in in that world and one foot in in seeking Jesus. And I think if I would have opened myself to going back into that world, I would have been fully sucked in. And it was after that night, my friend and I, because it was someone else I was with, her and I were going through the same experience. We were both in this weird spiritual cult scene and we were both talking about it together. So I was so grateful to have her because I was not alone. And it was just confirmation for both of us. We were both like, okay, this is evil. There's something evil here. Because I think having someone else to talk to who's experiencing the same thing just double confirms what you're experiencing. And her and I both were like, all right, we're done. <laughs> and then the next week, we just started going to church and we were praying together. We started reading scripture together. And that's how we fully devoted ourselves to seeking Christ. And it was around the same time we were both having the same experiences. So you say this is the first time you're talking to anyone about what happened to you. Thank you so much for trusting me and sharing this story with me. When you started going to church... Did you divulge anything that happened to you to them? Did you share anything that happened to you or did you do all the spiritual cleansing on your own? I had a friend who I, it was the same girl who, when I had the get out of the Stepford, what was that thing you said? Stepford, get the hell out of. Get the hell out of Stepford. I think yeah. at the line in the, the movie was, grab your kids. Oh my gosh, I... I should go back and watch that movie. I feel like I have to watch that movie. Grab your kids. Get the hell out of Stepford. And it's just such an intense scene. The therapist stands up across from the main character, Catherine, and she just throws her hand in her face and is like, get your kids. Get out. Don't. Don't stop. Run. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember that night where I think I was telling you I was at a sister's circle and half the room was Christian and then the other half were women who were in this spiritual... We'll just call it the New Age cult because that's what it is. And the, the other half of the room were women in the New Age cult. And it was that woman who was speaking to me and being like, yo, what you're saying is blasphemy. I was talking about like, yeah, there's a goddess, female Christ. And, you know, we like the Bible. And I was just sipping on whatever that Kool-Aid was at that time. She was one of the few people who I opened up to about that because she was in that world as well. She went through what I went through. And so she was able to see it. She was someone I can talk to about it because she knew the world that I was coming out of because she experienced the same thing of that world and then had the same experiences I had of waking up and seeing how evil it was and then rediscovering Christ during that time period. And the reason why I'm a Jesus freak now, I teach Bible study. I consider myself to be someone who teaches scripture. The reason why I'm so passionate about Jesus is because literally nothing else got me out of that world. It was like no, none of my friends, you know, it was Jesus. I guess that's the only way I can describe it. When I was so deep in that world, it was just like I kept feeling like I had to seek Christ. I did not even understand why. Mind you, it's been years since I even, you know, spoke about Jesus. It just was not on my radar. I was an agnostic for a very long time. I knew it was Jesus who brought me out of that world. And then when I saw that girl at that gathering and she was speaking to me, it was like I knew Christ was speaking through her to speak to me. 
It was something I can't even explain. Jesus was the only one to pull me out of the world that I was in. I feel like without Christ, I would still be in that world. Do you talk to anyone from that world still? Any of your old friends? I mean, you left the city over this. I don't talk to most of those people. The crazy thing is that when it comes to my faith, multiple women have had the experience of coming to Christ because meeting me. And those are people that I talk to because they've been in that world. So we can have conversations about it. But I've been able to help a lot of women who have been in that world step out of it and get closer to Christ or even just step out of it and just have their eyes open to the nature of this world, that new age cult that's happening in Austin. So I don't talk to anyone who is deep in that world anymore, but I do talk to people who I can tell they were where I was at, which was like I had one foot in that world and then one foot in where I was like, what is it about this Jesus dude? What is it about Jesus? I talk to those people, people who I can tell they're starting to wake up to the weirdness of what's happening in Austin and are curious about Christ. Those are the people that I feel a call to not only just talk to, but those are the people I feel a call to really help. A lot of women who get out, they end up back in because they program you to believe that's the best world you can be in. You're not going to fit in in the real world. And so my goal is to help a lot of women get out of that world and stay out of that world because I've also seen people who've been in both sides and then go back into it. People who I can tell they have one foot in that world, they're starting to wake up and see how weird it is. And then they have one foot in with seeking God. And I just want to help those women to realize if you go back into that world, you can stay in it. So it's so important to not be double-minded. How can someone, if they're in this world, how can they get out of it? Reach out to someone who you know who's on the other side, someone you know you can trust to share your story. I'm not going to tell you that church is the answer because even till this day, although I identify as Christian, I think Christianity can just be another cult. So it's very important that it's about having a personal relationship with Christ. But talking to someone who knows Jesus is going to be super helpful. Not someone who knows the church, not someone who knows Christianity, but someone who, who you can be like, I know Christ. I know Jesus. Speak to those people. And someone who's probably been in that world, someone who's probably shared their testimony publicly as well. People who you know who have experienced what you've experienced, they'll be able to understand where you have gone. And I think for me, that's been what my mission has been. So many people within the past six months have hit me up out the blue to ask, how do you know something's demonic? <laughs> how do you know something's evil? I'm like, wow, a lot of people are waking up to this. How do you know if someone's possessed? Like I've had people reach out to me, people who are deep in that world, people who I used to know in that world, suddenly out the blue, just reach out to me about these things. So I think a lot more people are waking up to the sinister nature of the new age and how it does borderline Satanism and the occult. So the only way out of this is to find Jesus. I think the only way to have liberation is to find Jesus. I believe that people can get out of this and not function. You know, I'm a happy person. My soul feels healed. I don't feel like I'm walking around with scars. I'm not in hiding. I talk publicly about this, but it's because Christ is the only one to give me that liberation where I feel mentally free from this, emotionally free from this. I believe that Jesus is the only way for true liberation. Therapy can be a great place to start if you don't feel ready to open yourself up to Christ, you know? Therapy can be a good place to start, but for me, Jesus was the only one to give me full liberation, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I feel truly, truly free.
And when I was in that world, I didn't realize that I was a slave. That's what it feels like. You feel like you're in bondage. It's so hard to explain. That's why it's hard for so many people to get out because they mentally bond you. They emotionally bond you. You're also bonded to so many people. So you're in some form of bondage without seeing it. It's like these invisible chains. Yeah, it's quite disturbing. So I've got to be open about something. The reason I really got interested in this space and to talking to you is because I had an experience with someone trying to recruit me for one of these cults. So just as a bit of background, I went to Tech Week last October to network for my climate game. And something really strange happened to me. And I still don't know what to make of it. I was networking and I met this woman who was really interested in my climate change game. She was nice. She was fun to be around. We developed a friendship without going too much into her, who she is, because I don't want to gossip. And I also want to protect myself from this person. She integrated herself into my life. She became my friend. We were friends for six months. She was a part of this group. I'm not going to say the name of this group, one, because I don't want trouble, and also because these groups are ubiquitous, right? There are so many of them. So a few things happened. She integrated herself into my life, and she never mentioned this group past talking to me about it the way you would talk to someone about your job, right? Like she would talk to me about this group she was in the same way you would talk about going to church. She wasn't trying to get me to join it. She was just sharing her life with me. So I, I don't know. I didn't really think about it. I enjoyed my friendship with her. My friends who met her liked her. We would go to dinner semi-regularly. She got involved with my climate game, right? She was helping me advertise it and find people to play it. And I remember thinking, wow, this girl is so nice. Who, who does that? My co-founder and I were both like, this girl's amazing. She's so helpful. Anyway, a few things happen. Over Christmas, she invites me to this holiday party where it's a secret Santa for all of the members of this group. It's some kind of Christmas game. I don't know. So I brought a bottle of wine, and the wine was actually a little bit more expensive than the price tag of the gift exchange. And I remember giving it and feeling really drained and stressed out. And I don't know why, I just felt so tired. Normally when I go to parties, I'm pretty easygoing, right? I'm very upbeat and have a good time. I would say I'm a very social person. I had the strong urge to get something back from what I was giving. It was really weird. Like I, I gave this bottle of wine and I remember just standing there and feeling tired and not liking what I was giving and fixating on that, which is very out of character for me. And then I went home and I was so tired. I slept for 13 straight hours. So that was how I met members of that cult, right? Without realizing it, that's how I met people who were part of that cult. Yeah, I already know where this is going. Wow. And so nothing past that happens, right? We're still in our normal friendship. She is integrating herself more into my life. She invites me to go stay with her and at her condo. And if we just take a step back, that should have been the biggest red flag. No one is willing to help you with your side project and invite you to go stay with them free around the world. Like, who does that? I didn't even know this person that well. There was something about her that felt 
just felt a little like at this point, I was like, okay, this is feeling a little strange. So up until this point, she's not hit me with anything related to uh, joining this cult. I mean, I'm going to call it a cult. Technically, it could have been like human motivation or whatever, but it's it's a cult. And she she first starts pitching herself as a life coach. She's like, oh, don't you want these things? And I'm like, oh, my life is pretty good. I have a great job that I'm great at. I have a ton of friends. I'm really happy with my body. And, you know, I just, I'm in a really good place. And so I don't really feel like I need a life coach. She didn't accept no for an answer. She kept pitching herself as a coach. And then she spirals into sending me a bunch of messages trying to get me to join her group. I am not susceptible at all to joining these types of groups. I keep saying no. She does not take no for an answer. And the stuff she says to me to get me to join, it is straight up bizarre. She's telling me that I can live in a world that's not controlled by time or money. I just remember staring at my phone, watching her not take no for an answer seven times, going, I really like this girl. I enjoy her company. My friends like her. But this just is starting to feel weird. It's starting to feel strange. And she then tells me that if I don't want to pay for it, which is the out I gave her, right? I said, I don't want to pay $2,000 to join this group. That's, I would say, pretty reasonable. She tells me that people are willing to pay for me to join. Historically, who is willing to pay $2,000 for you to talk to them about your life and your goals, right? Who does that? I effectively ended the friendship after that. And I did a little bit of digging. I went online. I looked into this group. I looked at all of the things that were happening related to this group. And it seemed really dark. It seemed really spooky. I'm going to be honest. I don't feel like I needed Jesus to say no to her. How common is this experience? Well, definitely when I was in Austin, I met so many people who are in groups like this and people were constantly trying to recruit me for these specific groups. But I always felt like it was always a no for me. I think this is super, super common, the rise of these personal development spaces, coaching spaces. But when spirituality starts to merge into it, when it's about spirituality and people are spiritually seeking something, that's why I say it's a little bit different. Those are the people where I'm like, yes, Jesus is your way out. But for personal development spaces, you're not going into it looking for something spiritually. It's about your own life. It's about your mind. It's about living in a world beyond what time and money or something like that. Honestly, I would put it as one of the creepiest things that has ever happened to me. She kept saying, Time and money are no object. Wouldn't you like to exist in a world where you can change the relationship you have to money and time? That was the reason I gave her for not wanting to do her $2,000 life development group, right? I just said, nope, I don't have the time or money for it. We all are constrained by time and money. Every single person is. There's no way to get out of it. We are all in some sort of rat race. I don't know. It was just it was straight up bizarre. She was telling me that I could live outside of the normal world. And I don't even think, you know, if you're religious, I don't even think religion tells you that, right? You still have to pay your bills. You still have a limited amount of time. I don't know what to make of it. It's definitely something I see in this Christian spaces as well, which is why I'm like always hesitant to call myself a Christian because Christianity can be another manifestation of a cult, in my opinion, because there are people who are in it who are in it for the lies, you know, or misguiding people. 
I think that woman, that specific woman you're talking about, is an archetype that you can find in any industry, whether it be a religious establishment or whether it be a personal development space. There are people who are in this world who genuinely are only serving themselves. That's what I believe Satanism is about. It's not about helping you get out of time and money or whatever the lie she was telling you. It's because there was some benefit that she was going to gain if she brought you into this cult. And that's the nature of what I believe Satanism is. It's self above everything. And so it doesn't surprise me that you went through that experience. I've definitely had experiences where people have tried to bring me into these groups as well. And it's always in Austin. I'm like, that's why I'm like, I needed some space from Austin. What is up with this city? Being away from Austin and as I prepare to go back into the city and navigate being there, I'm realizing that people are really driven by power out there. And it's so subtle you won't really tell, but whoever this woman is, I'm telling you, I guarantee there was a benefit of bringing you into this group that benefited her. It was not about helping you. It wasn't about getting you to a certain place. When it comes to Satanism, it's all rooted in how can I serve self, even if it appears as if she was trying to help you. It was about her in some kind of way. Gemini Cricket, so should we just avoid people who are in these groups and spaces? If someone says, I'm in this life development group, or I'm a coach, or I am a part of this society, would you say just avoid those people? Just don't let them in your life. Don't engage with them. Don't say anything to them. Definitely not, because I've met people who genuinely are doing the work and they genuinely care about other people. I consider myself to be a teacher. I consider myself to be a coach. But I don't think the whole coaching world, industry world is corrupt. There are a lot, a lot of bad apples in that world. There are a lot of bad apples in that space. And it just goes back again to discernment. If you are in a, a vulnerable position, it is not wise to put yourself in these worlds where you can be targeted to be recruited for anything. If you're in a vulnerable position, you have to really surround yourself with people who are willing to tell you the truth. People who have your best interests, people who are not Satanist, only serving themselves. Not saying that you have to surround yourself with Christians, but it's so important that any vulnerabilities in your life that you are talking to people around you that you can trust about it, because if not, you will be susceptible to be recruited for something. For example, you were telling me the story and you were mentioning it was like this game, this game that you're developing, right, for climate change. So the vulnerability in that is that you are looking for support. That's why you went to Tech Week. You're looking for support to get this off the ground, right? Something of that nature. So it is off the ground. We are actually now a bestseller. It was more, thanks. Yeah, we, Jake, and, Jake is my co-founder. We're really happy about it. I just went to meet people to talk to about it, right? There are so many people who are in environmental spaces. And I guess you could say I, I was seeking support, not financial support, yeah. just support around the game and getting the message of teaching how to think about climate change at a young age. That was the overall goal. Yeah. And I think often when people are entering to any kind of space, it's not always that dramatic. It's usually just seeking some form of support in general. So I think that the more and more that we start to pick up on the weirdness, we talk to other people about it and we get input fast. It's creating a culture when we feel off about certain things that we're communicating it with people that we trust, people who know us and have our best interests, because we may not always have eyes to see people's intentions. 
But if we have a culture when we're communicating, like, yeah, I felt a little off, and or is it strange, this and this, not, not keeping these things to ourselves. If I had more people in my life when I was in the world that I was in, if I can truly trust people who really had my best interests, there was no way I could have been sucked into that world. But I think the vulnerability that a lot of people have is that the moment they start feeling off about something, they just keep it to themselves. You know what I mean? Or just allow it to permeate in their mind. I think it's important to communicate that with people who really know you. And I think that's a massive vulnerability that so many people have, no matter if it is a spiritual cult or a personal development cult. Anytime you feel off, communicate it to someone that you know. And maybe it takes four eyes to see a situation. So entering a space, wanting something or needing something, that makes you vulnerable to these people. Yeah, I think it does. That's why I'm, I'm at this point now because the world is getting so dark. And it sucks to say this because I'm such an optimist, but the world is really getting dark. I think it's just important that when we do go to events or gatherings or anything, we're around people that we can trust. Now more than ever before, I feel like it's so important that you surround yourself with people who care about you and that you are normalizing talking about things that you're going through in your head. You know what I mean? For example, the first couple of weeks that I was in this world, I was picking up on a couple of things, but I was just allowing it to stay in my mind. And I wish that I had people around me that I can communicate these things to who weren't just going to be like, yeah, you go, girl, like whatever. That doesn't mean anything. People who like genuinely care about you. That's a vulnerability that I think a lot of women don't realize that they don't have. Do you think that because I'm agnostic, I'm automatically going to be at higher risk for cults trying to recruit me? Are they going to be more drawn to me because I don't have a foothold with Jesus Christ, with Christianity? That's such a good question. All I can say is that beyond spirituality, discernment is discernment. Anyone who lacks discernment is going to be vulnerable to be recruited for anything. My own personal belief is that, you know, it's only Christ who gives us that spiritual discernment. But discernment is also something that you can cultivate just through connecting with your body and picking up on when you physically feel off about something. So it depends on the circles that you're actually interested in. If you are a spiritual person, you are going to be a high target to be recruited into these spiritual cults if you don't have Christ. I believe that. But when it comes to these personal development spaces, I'm not really sure. I think discernment in general is a non-negotiable. Anything that correlates to spirituality. I believe if you're agnostic entering into these spiritual spaces, then you are at high risk to be recruited for sure. So uh, I do want to know more about the demonic possession and what that was like. That's very unfamiliar to me. <laughs> Can you talk more about that? Can you tell me what happened when you were possessed by a god? What the heck? Literally, what happened? Tell me. It's, it's, it doesn't, you're smiling. I don't know if you should be. The reason why I can smile about it now is because I'm so healed from that time period in my life that all I can do is laugh at the fact that I was in that world. You know what I mean? Again, a lot of it I don't really remember. I was doing a lot of substances during that time period in my life, so I was not always fully here. The best way I can describe it is slowly dying inside. You know how we started off the conversation and we were saying, you know, when you look at certain people in their eyes, they're gone. That was slowly happening to me. 
I felt like my soul was slowly dying. And when people think about Satan, Satan's after your soul, right? They don't say Satan's after your spirit. I believe we have spirit, we have soul, and we have body. But if Satan has your soul, right? I believe your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. That means you're no longer yourself. If you don't have a mind, a will, and your emotions, then you're just a spirit in a shell. And so when I was in that world, I felt like that's what, what was dying. I felt like my soul was being taken from me. And that's the best way to describe it. It was just, I wasn't in control anymore. I felt like I was slowly but surely just submitting to where life was taking me versus being an active participant in my own life. I was just going so deep with the flow or whatever my ex-partner wanted to do or whatever the people around me wanted to do. I felt like I was slowly beginning to submit to the world that I was in. That's the best way to describe it. Like my will, my own desires started dying. And when your own desires start to die or your own sense of soul starts to die, your own sense of mind or your emotions, people can just tell you what to do. Oh, you're supposed to be doing this and this is your purpose and this is your destiny. And because you're a shell of yourself, it's like they can implant anything inside of you. If you have no will, then who are you? And I think that's what demonic possession is. It's the goal of Satan to take your mind, your will, and your emotions, which is your soul. Um, funny, Siri wrote that down on my notes. So the goal of Satan is to take your mind, your will, and your emotions. It really wrote it down. It really that's wrote it down. That's so well, crazy. That's so crazy. Maybe it's a reminder for me. What is a soul? I believe the soul is. You know, and they say this in scripture as well. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And when people say Jesus is your salvation, it's like that's what he's trying to liberate you from, from any kind of possession. For example, this is a sign that you could be possessed by something without realizing it. Like money, for example, because a lot of people, I feel like in this world, are possessed by money. Money is a god in our modern world. If all you're doing all day is thinking about money or you're fearful about money and you feel you're constantly in this state of fear around money and all of your actions are rooted with things that have to do with money, then money is your God. So whatever has your dominant thoughts, your dominant emotions, and whatever is dominating your will, that is a deity. That is the God in your life, whether you realize it or not. And so when I think of Satan being the God of this world, that's what I think it is. He's trying to get people to chase and pursue and be so obsessed with these things and these things start to become people's gods and dominate them your mind is fully consumed with these things your emotions are fully consumed with these things your actions are always consumed with these things he's trying to get you to practice a form of in scripture they call it idolatry it's worshiping something that is not god and so people who have given their lives to christ it's about allowing our thoughts to be focused on the word of god it's about allowing our emotions to be the emotions of the Holy Spirit, which is peace and love and kindness, and our actions to be in alignment with that mentality and that emotions. That's how we worship. It's not just always about praising God at church. It's allowing your mind and your emotions and your will to not be so consumed by things of this world. So if you are not religious, the best way to protect yourself from people like this is by having a strong sense of self. I think the best way to protect yourself from people like this is having a strong sense of community with people who are going to be honest with you. 
I think it's deeper than just having a strong sense of self. I think it's about having people around you that you can really trust who are going to tell you the truth, who are going to look out for you and look out for your best interests. That to me is the highest level of protection because there's plenty of people who I know who had a strong sense of self and still found themselves in tricky situations or recruited into different things or experiences, like plenty of people. And so I think that to me is the true key. And I'll also, you know, as someone who believes in Christ, I'm going to be biased and say having a relationship with God definitely makes a difference. That day when I went to ecstatic dance and the moment the dude, the shaman, puts his hand on the floor, if I wasn't building a relationship with God, I would have never even heard, like, say, a prayer protection. It would even be something that, that would have crossed my mind. That could have been the exact thing that I needed in that moment to protect me from going back into that world and being caught up in the New Age cult again. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences with me. I know it wasn't easy, especially talking about it for the first time. Are there any other things that happened to you that you want to share if only to help protect other women from similar situations or things you feel like you want people to know about? Yeah, definitely. Well, my favorite story in scripture is like, there's a story about the prodigal son. And there's this, this young guy who I think he gets older and he leaves home, gets this inheritance from his family, and he leaves his father, forgets his father. And then he gets all this money and then everything in his life falls apart. And he's embarrassed. He's sad about where he's gone. So he feels, okay, maybe it's time for me to go back home. You know, and maybe he feels a shame in his heart. Maybe he's spent his money on stupid things, done some stupid things. But when he comes back home, his father opens the door with so much love and excitement to see his son. He's not angry with him. He's not trying to condemn him. He's just happy that he's home. That's the relationship with a lot of people who probably grew up with the seed of Christ in their lives, but have been cut off from that world for so long. They feel ashamed to even open that door again because maybe they've gone down some roads or been a part of some cults, done some things where they're not really the most proud of. But I just want to know anyone who's listening to this, maybe you didn't grow up religious. Maybe you just heard a story about Christ and something stuck with you. I just want you to know that the liberation of what God has given me, no therapist has been able to do it for me. No friend, no coaching program. It's the joy, the peace, the happiness I feel, the hope I feel after some of the things I've experienced. It's just a testament of cultivating a personal relationship with Christ. And so if you feel like you've been down a dark road and maybe you open some doors that you're not proud of, maybe you are the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter, God wants to open the door with open arms ready to let you back in because he's just so happy to have a relationship with you because that's what it's about. It's not about a religious establishment. It's not about going to church every week. It's not about even calling yourself a Christian. It's understanding that the spiritual world is very much so real. And as someone who has seen all the different sides to it, if you lack discernment, you can go down some dark alleys that you don't need to go down. And so just know that whenever you are ready, whenever you are ready, just start off with a prayer and ask God to reveal himself to you. And I promise you, he will. Thank you so much for sharing everything with me. This is very, very interesting. Thank you so much for giving me the space to process some of these things publicly. 
Yeah, I hope these circus freaks don't make a voodoo doll of me. I will say a prayer of protection for you. I, I'm pretty sure you're going to be good. <laughs> oh, Jesus. It's so awful. If I'm wrong, I'm insane. And if I'm right, it's worse than if I'm wrong. I don't know what they do exactly. They, they, they draw our pictures and they tape our voices. And the women all look neat and pretty. There's a man. He, he's a druggist. He, he runs the pharmacy. And he's nothing. He's nothing. But his wife is just breathtaking. And once, by mistake, I happened to hear them making love. And she was carrying on incredibly, like he was some kind of God's gift. And Charmaine changed in four months and ripped up her tennis court. And Bobby, my best friend, changed in four months. And that's what convinced me. That's how long I've been in Stepford, four months. And I don't know what's going on. I just know something is wrong and my time is coming. Terribly frightened, aren't you? Can you sleep? Well, that's easy. We can take care of that. And we'll see a lot of each other and you can talk some more. See, it's unfortunate, but I have to go away for a couple of days. It's something I can't put off at this short notice. But when I'm back, we'll talk. No! No, you don't want to talk or what? I won't be here when you get back, don't you see? It's going to happen before then. Don't ask me to explain it. I just know there'll be somebody with my name. And she'll cook and clean like crazy, but she won't take pictures and she won't be me. She'll... She'll, she'll be like one of those robots in Disneyland. All right, now listen. I'll give you a prescription which you have filled. Then you gather up your children and you get the hell away. Don't tell your husband, don't tell anyone, just go wherever you feel safe. Now, do you have family? They're dead. Well, just drive and stop someplace. Then in a few days, I'll be back on the 10th. You ring me, I'll come to you, and we'll sort this thing out. Now, how does that sound? If you've been a victim, or are currently a victim of cult abuse, you don't have to stay silent. There are resources that can help you. The National Domestic Violence Hotline can be reached at 1-800-799-SAFE or 1-800-787-3224. You can also text START to 88788 or visit their website to learn more. If you're feeling lonely, just remember what is written in the book of Deuteronomy 31.8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed.
If you're feeling afraid, remember what is written in the book of Matthew. Have no fear. Matthew 10, 26 through 33. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. If you're feeling weak, remember what is written in Zephaniah 3.13. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. If you're feeling doubt, remember Psalms 23, 1-6. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Look, just for the record, for most of my life I've identified as being Jewish. But it's called Jewish for a reason. I've always vaguely believed in God. I've just never really cared to engage with the spiritual side of things. If you're wondering if my belief system has changed in the months that followed the recording of this podcast, well, that's my business. But just in case, by the grace of God, I am protected. I see the bad moon rising. I see trouble on the way. and lightning I see bad times today Don't go around tonight Well it's bound to take your life There's a bad moon on the rise I hear hurricanes blowing I know the end is coming soon Take your life.